All right, well, good morning. Tara, I love your enthusiasm. It is awesome. I'm just sitting here going, man, let me be that joyful, Lord. I want to be that energized. I mean, really, like that's, it's inspiring and it's awesome. So thank you for, for what you do and for being here. I know it's a big effort to get over here and with the kids and everything. So you guys are awesome and, and, uh, and we want you to feel at home today. So thank you. Uh, before I jump into the message this morning, I want to remind you about a couple of things that we do with God's word to try to get it into your heart and mind. Okay. And the first one is personal worship. If you do not have our free phone app, that is the best way to do personal worship together with us, please get it. And then turn on the notification for personal worship, because here's what we do. We take the passage of scripture that we talk about on Sunday and we back it up a week. And then Monday through Friday, you get a piece of it with some other passages of scripture, with a little bit of commentary to help you understand it, with study questions to help you interact with it, with a model prayer to help you pray through it. And even with a song that you can start with that's thematically connected to inspire you as you enter into God's presence. And so what happens then is you're working through the passage of scripture Monday through Friday, you show up on Sunday and then I talk about, or one of our pastors talks about typically one aspect of that passage. And then after that, the next Friday, Sam Kastensmith, who is a brilliant scholar and Bible teacher, he's one of our pastors here on staff, and Mark Lautenschlager, who is our director of communications, also super brilliant. These guys are fun and they're funny and they're friends. They come out with a a podcast called Out of Water that drops on Friday and that takes that passage that you've worked through in personal worship that I've talked about one aspect of, and then they talk about all the aspects of it. And it's fantastic. Like, these guys are great. Please you know, follow that podcast, if you will, because here's what that podcast allows me to do. And I love this. It allows me to do what I want to do anyway, which is not to talk about every aspect of the passage. It sort of relieves me of that because otherwise I would feel like, oh my goodness, I've worked all the way through it. There's 10 things in here that I see. There's probably 110 things actually. And instead to just take that passage and lay it before the Lord and say, God, I am always and ever just shooting for one thing. When I give a sermon, I'm not trying to make five points, three points, two points, just one. What's the one thing? So one of the things that I've learned as we've moved through the book of Isaiah, which we're back in again today, is that way, way, way back in the 4th, 5th century when St. Augustine lived, St. Augustine, who was one of the greatest theologians the Christian church has ever produced, looked at Isaiah and he called it the fifth gospel. And I just lost some of you. I know that. So let me rewind a bit and say, what is a gospel? Well, the word gospel means good news. And when you get to the New Testament, you have four of them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four books are referred to as the gospels, okay? Why? Because they tell us the good news of the birth of Jesus. God made man come into planet earth as one of us, of the life of Jesus, of all that he did, of all that he said that has been recorded for us, that we might be shaped and formed by it, of the sufferings and of the death and of the burial of Jesus, suffered and died. Why? Because he was guilty? No, because we are. He was wholly innocent, but in love he lays down his life for us. And then of the defeat of death itself by Jesus in resurrection. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all tell that story from their own perspective. St. Augustine came to the Bible, he studied through the four Gospels, and then he went back. And he's like, you know, wait a minute. I, I mean, I realize that Isaiah wrote his book 700 to 750 years before Jesus even shows up on the scene, at least as a human, okay? But he tells exactly the same story. I mean, you just work your way through Isaiah, you see, and we'll see this in Advent. He talks about the birth of Jesus, not once, but like several times. He talks, as we've seen, about the life of Jesus, about the sufferings of Jesus, about the death of Jesus. Talks about the resurrection of Jesus. We saw that two weeks ago in Isaiah 53. 
And we have come to the part of the gospel story of Jesus as Isaiah, long before Jesus even is born, gives it to us, in which now we're looking at the results of all of that. God has come. God has lived. God, as a man, has suffered and died. He's been buried. He has risen. And the whole theme shifts, man. It shifts to one of joy. And there are all kinds of results, including in Isaiah 60, which is where we're at again today. But I just... I want to talk about one result. I want to talk about the result in which, because of the power of the Spirit alive in us, okay, the people in my life, the people in your life, the people in our community that we are together going to join to reach, like the people in your office, the people in your home, the people in your family, the people at your school, the people in South Florida, the people in this world are drawn to Jesus because of the glory of Jesus that they see in us. Because Isaiah is going to tell us today, and Jesus is then going to tell us today, and Paul is then going to tell us today that, hey, guys, biblically speaking, that's the way it works. Listen to what Isaiah says. He says, Jesus is born. He says, Jesus has lived. He says, Jesus for us has suffered and died and been buried, and all of our sins are washed away by the power of the blood. He says, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and then he comes to us, and I don't think he mumbles this. Like, I don't think he goes, all right, so drawing close, I'm going to whisper this. The whole scene has shifted. We've gone from sorrow and death to joy and music. Like he says, guys, arise. What does that mean? It means wake the heck up. It means get out of bed. It means get off the couch. It means get off the bed. Like I don't care what analogy you use as long as it works. Get up and do what? shine. It's our word for the day. Arise and shine. Why? For your light who is Jesus Christ has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon who? Upon him? No. Upon you. He's risen upon you. And now he describes everyone else. He's like, no, 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 the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. If you're a Christian, he has risen upon you. Now, let me describe the whole rest of the world. He says, behold, that means look. He's like, listen, when you get off the couch, when you get out of bed, when you get off the bench, when you wake up and then you go to your office, let me tell you what you see. When you go to your school, here's what you see. When you walk around the block, here's what it is. He says, behold, look. Darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples of the earth, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen by all of the people in your world who are in the dark apart from him. Where? Upon you. And what happens when that happens? Well, he says, all right, so here's how that works. He says, the whole nations will come to your glory, to your light. And kings even will come to the brightness of your shining. What is he saying? He's saying, guys, Jesus Christ has defeated sin and death. He's got a spirit-filled people in this earth. It's us who are to be formed by his word. He's like, and when you shine with the light of his character, of his nature, of his goodness, of his power, of his everything, of who he is alive in you, let me tell you what happens. People realize, wait a minute, you're different. And they're drawn, not to you, but to him. So here's my question. Do you believe that? I went to this meeting on Tuesday, and, and we met with 
somebody who's a part of a Christian organization that's multinational. So he deals with the church in the East and he deals with the church in the West. And we said, what, do we, what does the church in the West have to learn from the church in the East? He says, man, we have to fall in love with the gospel again and we have to believe its power. This is the way it works. We become the spirit-filled people of God, the, the word-formed people of God, the light-filled people of God, the reflect the glory of Jesus, people of God. And then people come to faith in Jesus because of the light they see in us. It draws them out of the darkness. It's like a moth to the flame. Do you believe this? I went to dinner with Beth on Friday night. I said, I think I'm just going to ask the question and go sit down. Seriously. Like, I'm, I'm dead serious. Like, I was playing with that idea all day on Friday. I'm like, should I just go sit down? Should I go get coffee in the back? Is the coffee in the back good? You know what? Don't tell me. Tell me later, okay? Obviously, I don't need more caffeine. Naturally caffeinated. But I, I'm not kidding. It's almost like nothing else I have to say matters at this point. If we can't agree on that, or at least if you're not willing to explore the possibility that, yeah, maybe that's true. I've had days to think about it. Do you believe that? And look, it's easy to say that you believe that. I'm not interested in what we say. I'm interested in what we do. That's where it shows up. Hey, Tom, of course I believe it. I'm at church on Sunday. You know what? I don't, I'm not worried about what you're doing and what you're thinking now. Do you believe it on Monday? How about Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Like any day not named Sunday. Do you believe it then? Because if you don't, you don't believe it now. Sorry, you don't. And I don't either if that's the case. We're not supposed to come to church and shine together in the room and then put out our little wicks and walk back out into the darkness. We're supposed to come get charged up, man. Come light each other up. Come get around each other and then go out together as a force of light in a thickly dark world. Do you believe that? It shows up in what we say, not in what we do. Fast forward 700 to 750 years. What does Jesus say? He's like, eh, Isaiah's right. He just says it a little differently. Matthew 5, verse 14. He says, you are what? He says, you are the light of the world. He doesn't say, hey, the world has a lot of lights. Welcome to the team, you know? <laughs> Lots of kind of light. You're one of them. He's like, no, no, no. Isaiah's right. Like a whole world, thick darkness. Your office, dark. School dark, neighborhood dark, city dark. I mean, I know we got a lot of these kind of lights, but that's not what we're talking about. He's like, I have a spirit-filled people who are my physical presence in this world. They are filled with my spirit. They're informed by my word. And together they are to go out and be the only light that there is in the darkness. And he doesn't come to us and go, and I'm hoping maybe you'll think about doing it. Hey, Tom, I've got this Light of the World program. I'm trying to kick it off. I started a new website. I got a couple of videos. They're two and a half minutes long because I know you won't watch something longer than that. So I've kind of condescended. I've dumbed it down for you, buddy. I'm getting right to the point. I got an FAQ and it's short, and direct and pointed. And I've got an opt-in and an opt-out button, you know, and you can opt-in and you can opt. No. Think about this. God made you. You owe your very existence to him. He is, you are his by creation. And he's made you to be thrilled with him. He's made you to find meaning and purpose in him. He's made you to be satisfied only in him. That's why nothing else works. 
And then in addition to that, Christ has come to claim you at the expense of his life, his infinitely valuable life, that he has laid down in suffering and death in your place the guilty offered in the place of the innocent. He gives you the privilege of taking your life and using it to do the highest possible thing in all of the universe, and that is to live it for him. Like, there is zero to complain about in this arrangement. It's magnificent. Paul says, do you not know that you're not your own? You've been bought with a price. You don't belong to you, and that is good news. He saves us from our sin. He saves us from ourselves and from what we would waste our lives on otherwise. And he's like, don't waste your life. Come on, I got a plan. Let's do this thing. You are the light of the world. And the only question is, will you arise and shine? I love the way the Apostle Paul says it in Philippians 2. Super convicting. Beginning in verse 14, he says, do, because it's about what we do. What? All things. Okay, that's comprehensive. Without grumbling or questioning. Do you like that? You're welcome. That's awesome, isn't it? A lot of times it's translated without grumbling or complaining. That's a little, the knife goes a little deeper then, doesn't it? It's like, oh man, come on. I knew that I was going to have to talk about this this morning. And I'm not going to lie, I'm not a guy who enjoys rain. Like I enjoy rain if like it's Sunday afternoon and I don't have to go anywhere and I'm just going to watch football and then it's going to rain, it's super convenient. I'm glad that it rains and we'd all be dead without it. So I appreciate the value of it. But I've been running in and out of the rain, probably like some of you for the last couple of days. I've been none too happy about it in about five minutes before I'm supposed to leave. And I'm a very on schedule kind of a guy. It was a deluge at my house, like build an ark. It was unbelievable. I can hear it just pounding the roof. And I'm thinking, where is my raincoat? Because it's not where I left it. And so I go in from my closet. It's not there. I go in this other closet. I thought for sure it was there. It's not there. I go in another closet. It's not there. I go in another closet. It's not there. I've concluded that it is with my son in Orlando. I'm not happy about the rain and I'm missing the coat. And I don't like the way it left. I don't. So I got a towel on me, and I'm like... And I'm telling you, two minutes before I walked out the door, it stopped completely. I'm like, oh, you're just showing off right now. And in my heart, I'm like, don't complain, don't complain, don't complain, don't complain, don't complain, don't complain. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. Why? So that you may be blameless and innocent. You're like, does that mean that I need to be perfect? No, Jesus came because he knew you weren't perfect. But it does, without question, imply that we need to be different. Different is being called out right here. That you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God. What do children look like? Or really who? Who do they look like? Well, biologically, at least they look like their parents. Lots of other ways, too, we impress ourselves upon our kids. He's like, look, you're, you're a child of God. You are to look like him, not like everyone else. You're to reflect his light, not darkness. Or Do all things without grumbling or complaining that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. The idea being in the midst of the darkness, and I know that because he says, among whom you what? Because it's our word for the day. I want to actually say it. Among whom you? That was okay. All right. More coffee. 
But really, among whom you shine as lights. It's not the word lights. It's the word stars. In an otherwise dark world. So what are stars like? Just think about the stars. Look at them. Stars are constant. They never shut off. It's not a star. is not like a cell phone, you know, like it shines all night and then it recharges during the day. It just, it always shines. All the time it's shining. You might be in the house, you can't see it, it's shining. It might be behind the clouds, you can't see it, it's shining. The sun might be out, so you got all this light pollution, if you will, you can't see it, it's still shining. Night comes, man, it is shining. Why? Because it's what it does. They're constant. They're consistent. We judge and measure the seasons by them. They, they move so consistently through our universe. It's remarkable. Like men and women, for as long as there have been men and women, have navigated land and sea, how? By the stars. I don't know how to do it, but I just know they do. They're transcendent. They stand above all the fray of the earth. Like they stand above it all somehow. It's amazing. They're bright. They pierce the darkness from distances that are so great. We have no category by which to understand it. Like we hear the number and we're like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. Long way. It's a long way. But they're also beautiful. There is to be a beauty about the life of the Christian. And it, it's, not, it's not my beauty. I don't, I don't have that to bring, honestly. It's the beauty of Jesus alive and, and well and, and working in me and in you. I've shared this in the past, but years ago I read this book by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky was a Christian and a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant man. And he was a guy who, like all of these brilliant authors, teach. He teaches through his work. He writes novels, but he's teaching through the stories. You get the idea? He wrote a book called The Idiot. And in the book, the central character's name is Prince Lev Nikolaevich Mishkin, which is something to practice if you're going to say it out loud, okay? But Prince Mishkin is the idiot. He's the guy who just lets everybody take advantage of him. He's the guy who takes the wealth of a prince and just gives it away in ways at times that don't even make sense. You're like, no, no, no. They're going to use that for something that like, you wouldn't be agreeable with. Like, he's the guy who loves this woman in this book. She's the promiscuous woman. She's loyal to no one but herself and maybe not even that. And no one can love her the way that he does. She betrays him. She, I mean, just, but his love is there. Prince Mishkin is the idiot, and he is also the Christ figure in the book. He's the one who lives the beautiful life amidst all the rest of the darkness. And it is a beautiful life that he lives. There's a tagline that runs through the book. It is that beauty will save the world. You hear it again and again. Beauty will save the world. You read a little further. Beauty will save the world. Okay, now I'm getting toward the end. Beauty will save the world. Beauty will save the world, not technology. I think we've figured that out. All that seems to be doing is exposing the world. And I'm like, no bueno. Not science, not money, not medicine not the Democrats or the Republicans or democracy or the United States of America. Like all of these other things that we would put our hope in just are failing left and right and left and right and left and right and left and right, leaving us nowhere to go except to the one who alone can save the world. And what is his plan for doing that exactly? 
It's through his people that he fills with his spirit, that he instructs with his word, that he unites in one mind and heart and mission that represent every different kind of person on the earth. He's like, guys, go out and reflect my glory because when that happens, what happens? People are drawn not to us. They're drawn to him because there's a beauty. The idea is that as human beings, and it's true for all of us everywhere, we have mirrored souls. So all of us are all of the time reflecting something or someone. We're reflective by nature. And so the next question then is, and maybe I will get a donut or something now, is what are you reflecting? Who or what are you reflecting right now? In this season of life, like who or what are you reflecting? And I'm going to help you figure it out. So A.W. Tozer gives us seven rules for self-examination, and I think that they apply here for the most part. Just work it through, okay? You and God, real honest, none of this, all right? Like if you're with somebody, just that's never helpful. What do you want most? So as you look at your desires, what is chief among them? What do you want most? What do you think about the most? What wakes you up in the morning and keeps you up at night? And all through the day, it's occupying primarily what your thoughts are. How do you use your money? Super uncomfortable, right? Nobody in church wants to talk about money. That's a crime. It is the number one idol. Money, sex, there you go. Seriously. Spiritually speaking, it matters. How do you use it? What do you do with your leisure time? How do you comfort yourself? How do you reward yourself? How do you power down? Who do you spend your time with? I love this next one. Who and what do you admire? You know, who and what do you look up to and go, man, I want to emulate that or this? Or... And lastly, what do you laugh at? We have mirrored souls. We're reflective by nature. We're reflecting something or someone, and God's like, let me give you the ultimate thing to reflect. And that would be me. And when you do that, you're a light to the world that is otherwise covered in thick darkness. And as I worked my way through that, I thought, okay, so I think here's what some will be thinking. You might be thinking, well, yeah, but my mirror is pretty busted up, man. Like, (laughs) my mirror is lifeless. My mirror is shattered. My mirror is corroded. My mirror is dusty. My mirror is filthy. And how how great of a job am I going to be able then to do reflecting the light of Christ. I mean, I think that's where the moon comes in, honestly. Have you ever looked at the moon, like close up? We're all like, oh, the moon's so beautiful. Is it really? I'm thinking it's not. It's lifeless. It's dead. It's pockmarked. I mean, what are all these things? Are these asteroids? Like, what is this? It's dusty. It's filthy. It's dirty. It's gray. It's... But when it's lit up with the light of the sun, it's undeniably beautiful. Jesus is coming to us and he's going, bring me your mirror. Do you not understand the power of my gospel? I heal, I fix, I cleanse, I redeem. I take it all and I return beauty for all of the dust and all of the ashes and all of the junk and all of the stuff. When you are lit up with the light of Christ, there's something undeniably beautiful about you. So again, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And then he says that a city set on a hill, which in his context would be a city made of limestone. It was a world in which there was no electricity. 
It was up on a hill for strategic reasons, like reasons of self-defense and so forth. It had big walls, and it was lit at night with torches. He said a city set on a hill cannot be hidden because it looks like this. Ah, That's easier to see than the stars. I mean, that dude stands out. You can see that guy from a long way away is the idea. It cannot be hidden, nor, he continues, do people light a lamp. He's talking about an oil-burning lamp in in a little house with a few rooms, maybe, that has no electricity. He says, no, 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 they don't light a lamp and then put it under a basket. You don't light it to hide it, but you put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. And then he looks at me and he looks at you the same way Isaiah did. And he said, in the same way, let your light, that is the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is his character, his nature, his person, his power, do what? Shine before others so that they may see your good works. That is to say, what you do. Not on Sunday, not here. On Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, out there that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven because they realize that the light that they see in you is actually his. So they see your works of generosity, and it reflects a generous God. That's why you're doing it. It's what moves and motivates it. They see your works of selflessness. Why? Because your Father is selfless. They see your works of love and mercy and grace and truth because your Father is loving and merciful and gracious and, and truthful. They see works that reflect the nature and character of God. And what is that? I mean, as God is described to us in the Bible, what is his nature and character? Because I just gave some of it. I mean, he's truthful and he's loving and he's merciful and he's, he's just, I mean, to add to the list. Isaiah told us earlier on, he walks into the presence of God and what are the angels saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory, is it? It is when his people are lit up. It is when you look at what he's built and made. But holiness matters. It doesn't matter in terms of getting into heaven. He speaks of his moral purity. That's what that's, okay? His otherness, his separateness. But his moral purity is just, well, perfect, very much unlike ours. But I fear that the people of God have begun to think that doesn't matter. Oh, it matters. Big time. It matters not to get us into heaven. That's why we have a morally pure Savior who lays down his life, okay, to cover over all of our moral failures. And man, it's a long list, isn't it? And just it is. We can all be honest about that. We all have it. But he calls us to reflect himself, to love him. By keeping his commandments. How do you love Jesus? He tells us. He's like, I don't know. You know, I'm flipping through the Bible. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What, what motivates that? It's not guilt. It's not pressure. It's not responsibility. It's not what good Christians do. It's I am so enamored with the one who came into this earth. Who I had no reason to do that apart from love for me. And he, he did all of this that he might forever have me. I'm so enamored with him. I so love him that I'm going to do things or not do things that I, I never thought I'd do or that I never thought I'd stop doing. Like, because I want to. That's what you do for people you love. 
You go out of your way. You, you do whatever it is that they want you to do because it's pleasing to them. And you do that because now it's pleasing to you, not the act or the whatever. But what's become pleasing to you is, is loving them by serving them. Holiness matters, and it matters to our ability to shine. Isaiah says Jesus has been born, he's lived, he's suffered, he's died. He is risen from the dead. Guys, wake the heck up. Get off the bed, get off the couch, get off the bench. Arise and shine. Jesus says it. Paul says it. So I want to close with an object lesson. And if you're watching online, I'm about to walk off screen, so don't leave. I'll be back. I got to go get this candle that has been confusing to everybody here and uh, that I hope hasn't dripped on the piano or that will go out. All right, I want to bring up all the lights. We can do that. Now, you don't need this candle to read right now, do you? You don't need this candle to see. You want to get out of your seat and go to the bathroom. You're not going to trip over anything. There's a lot of light here. This, this candle, if you will, is a Christian on Sunday. Let's take it all down. Now you'd like my candle. But this is what you have the opportunity to be on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday and Thursday on Friday and Saturday, everywhere you go, with everyone you meet, because stars shine. The moon shines, and isn't it beautiful? Pockmarks notwithstanding. Hey, listen, a city on a hill? You can't miss that guy. And nobody lights a candle, a lamp, in some home without electricity, and then just hides it and puts it under a bushel. No, no, no. It goes on a stand strategically placed in such a way as to give light to everyone in the house. The world is in darkness. And you don't need to go to the Bible to figure that one out. We know that. And God says, and you, my people, are the light of the world. If there's going to be light, it's going to come from you. So turn your reflective soul to me and shine. Let's pray together. Father, we we are grateful for your love and for your mercy. We are grateful, Lord, for your peace that you purchase at the price of your own blood. We are grateful that you have chosen us and, and that you take the mirrored souls of our lives and the lives themselves that we oftentimes bring ruin into. And that you are the master. You are so great that you can heal that, that you can forgive that, that you can go there and redeem all of that. Lord, that you can take that which is ugly and make it absolutely, gloriously beautiful. Lord, how wonderful are you and how amazing is your love toward us. Oh, God, awaken us to the power of your gospel and awaken within us a love for your gospel and for her fellow man. Speak, Lord, that we, your servants, might listen and know what, by the power of your spirit and in community with each other, in obedience to your word, 
Obedience matters. And when we love you, we obey. Lord, obedience to your word, what we as a community can do. Let us shine. We pray this in Jesus' name.